0: Welcome to the Chicago Golf Report Podcast, brought to you by ChicagoGolfReport.com, covering everything golf in Chicago.
1: Our guest this episode is the Director of Golf and Player Development at Northwestern University, Pat Goss. You can learn more about Pat and the Wildcat Golf Academy by visiting WildcatGolfAcademy.com. Awesome. So let's uh, start with, um, how did you find your way to Evanston, um, you know, as a student, as a player? What, uh, what was the process that got you there to start, you know, what you know, has been such a, um, a long stay there?
0: Yeah, the process for me to get to Evanston, which was obviously the greatest opportunity of my life and something that's really had an incredible impact on me play, playing golf at Northwestern and becoming a Northwestern student, um began through dr jim Suddy, who's a wonderful teacher consistently a a top 100 teacher in america um really an innovative teacher in biomechanics and video usage and i had started taking lessons with dr Suddy when i was uh finishing high school and playing college golf at marshall university my first two years i'd grown up in crystal lake i was i was a good player not a great player you know, kind of a mid-level Division One player and had a nice opportunity at Marshall, which was a great place, but uh, Doc helped me a lot, and I got a lot better, and that created an opportunity for me to transfer and finish my last two years at Northwestern University, and I don't think there's any ever been anybody so proud of that.
1: So what was uh, Dr. Suddy's role at the time? Was he working for Northwestern?
0: Yeah, he was the golf coach. He, there, oh, Okay two-and-a-half or a three-year window where Dr. Suddy was the golf coach at Northwestern University. So, uh, you know, he, he saw me getting better and gave me an opportunity to come on board.
1: And then, so then, how did the transition come from being the student and a, and a player then to eventually finding your way um, sort of in the, uh, the faculty component of, uh, you know, as
0: a teaching uh, faculty at Northwestern? So, right after I got here, Dr. Suddy left. in he had stopped coaching and his assistant was Jeff Morey. And so Jeff became my head coach and Jeff was really great to me and still remains one of my biggest mentors, uh, in life and in golf for sure. We've remained very good friends, even own a business together, but Jeff became the golf coach. So I played my last season and a half for Jeff and it was right at the end there. Um, Jeff had an opportunity to get a part-time assistant, um, Didn't get paid very much to do it, but, you know, he knew how much I loved Northwestern and loved golf. And Jeff was really the first person who told me, you know, I think you should teach golf for a living. I think you'd be good at it and have the right mindset for it. So I took the opportunity to become Jeff Morey's assistant in the fall of 1992, right after I'd finished school. And and when he said that,
1: he told you you'd be good at teaching. Did it uh, take a while to sink in, or did you kind of know that that was, you know, the analytical an analytical component of working with players you thought that oh I, I could get that was that something you had to kind of get your mind around or do you did you believe it at that time
0: no I believed it I I've always you know I am one of these guys that loves golf beyond belief and always have the game's had such a great influence on me and just immediately fell in love with the game from the time I was a young kid in fact uh, recently saw some stuff in the eighth grade I wrote a paper about you know how I'd work in golf my whole life, and saw another interview in the the local paper in Crystal Lake featuring some seniors, and they asked me what I'd be doing 20 years from now, and I said I'll probably be bumming around some golf course working in the game, and I pretty much nailed it. So I knew I always wanted to be in golf, and just a matter of what area I was going to be in. And I would say as a player, I was always wired more towards teaching and, and coaching, probably to a point where it hindered my ability a little bit. I but i always wanted to understand the game and really study it you know i'm not so sure that's always healthy as a player so jeff really gave me the shove to get going in a direction that i think i was really destined for
1: so you have a very unique perspective with all of these new players that you recruit and such elite level players you know the the ones that you recruit as collegiate players and then the people that you work with as they become professionals what uh what is the i is there a, a group of players that you enjoy working with more than others? Do you like working with the highest most elite players like a Luke Donald, or do you still get the same kind of feedback and joy of working with say amateurs who you know could have uh you know twenty plus handicap?
0: Sure, I get joy from helping any player who gets better and enjoys the game, but what I'm really good at and what I understand how to do is to develop elite level players that that's much more where my training is my background the way I'm wired you know to understand how to take a player who's at a certain level and this player has the time to put into the game the energy the love for it you know and to understand how to slowly progress through these levels and help them hopefully achieve their goals is what I'm best at.
1: I'm sure this has taken a lifetime to sort of hone that skill, especially working with elite players. But is there sort of a framework um, of, uh, that you use to work with elite players to sort of identify things that they could work on? Or is it all something that is dictated by your eye when you see a movement or something like say, okay, that could be a problem?
0: It, it's definitely all individually based. The formula has been different for all the players, and, and I would say it, it is something I've been able to hone over the last 20-plus years, but I'll, I'll also tell you I'm still learning a lot, and there's so much more great research being done and so much more good technology that's helping us understand. I'll be learning for the next 25 years, and I think I'm better at it now than I was 20 years ago and hope I'm continuing to improve at it. Um, but the formula is different. It's going to be a lot based on first... I think we have a good understanding of what you have to do to be a professional golfer at the tour level. And I'm very thankful to Luke Donald for giving me the opportunity to coach him after he left college at Northwestern to go on that journey with him because that became my greatest learning opportunity was to be inside the ropes with the best players in the world, the best teachers, uh, the best fitness trainers, everybody, and to get a glimpse, and the best athletes, and to get a glimpse of what they were doing Uh, has really influenced my coaching greatly and and provided a lot of good resources to continue to learn Um, you know so we're starting with this framework of we have a good understanding of what it's going to take to achieve as a pga tour player and we're working backwards and one we're trying to build off your strengths that are strengths that will help you do that but we're also trying to identify weaknesses that need to improve towards doing that and some of it's golf swing, some of it's short game, some of it's practice, some of it's emotional, some of it's analytics-based. There's a whole lot of it that goes into it. Before we get back to, I, I want to hear more about Northwestern and what you've
1: done, but I, I do have one question with regard to that, especially elite players, and this is something that comes up quite often that I've talked to other people, and I, I guess I've never been able to ask someone like yourself, but when a professional player like a Luke Donald or anybody on any of the tours, LPGA or PGA, whatever it is, you always wonder as as an amateur, how could they play that much? Just with the nature of the game itself, um, is that something that you have to sort of take into mind that these players are playing and practicing every day and playing a lot? Is Is there a burnout factor that you have to be aware of, or is that something that the player themselves manage and you don't have to take into account?
0: No, it's really important. Even for our college players, it's a little less important for them. They're young, they're healthy, but, you know, Luke Donald turns 38 here next week. So uh, rest and recovery is part of preparation. It's part of improvement. And you Mentally, you need to rest and recover. Physically, you need to rest and recover. It's no different than workouts. If you want to get that muscle stronger, you have to break it down. Then you have to let it recover and go do it again. And it's, there's an element of that in golf, that we do need rest and recovery. When you're looking at playing multi-day tournaments, multi-weeks in a row, and for college kids combining academics with that, all the travel, the different time zones, it's rest and recovery is critical, and I really see it uh, with the young professional players. You know, David Lipsky, who I'm still really involved with, who plays the European Tour, you know, and Sam Chen, who played the Web.com last year, these guys... They want to play all the time, and they're young enough to be able to do it, but even getting them to understand the value of off weeks, the value of having some segments that are off weeks where you can rest, then train, are really important. Okay, so can you talk a little bit then about
1: uh, the strengths of being able to have a, a, a school like Northwestern University? What are, the, what are the things that allow you to recruit top players um that uh, maybe other schools
0: don't have well there there's surely a lot of great places and and i will say there is the right place for everybody to play college golf and there are so many opportunities great division three opportunities and and great division one opportunities and and we fit a certain unique niche that's for the right type of person in that you know, first and foremost, we are trying to attract someone who really wants to be a tour player and believes that Northwestern is the right place to come prepare for that. But on the flip side, there's somebody who's really worked hard at their academics. They've invested heavily in education, and they want to pursue that parallel path. You know, they don't want to make a sacrifice on either end. They don't want to go to a school where they don't receive a a certain level of education, but they can really pursue golf. And on the flip side, they don't only want to go pursue a high level of education, not be able to pursue PGA Tour aspiration level of golf. So it is a unique person that really says, I want both. And there really aren't too many schools that are actively trying to pursue that. So our recruiting niche becomes small. It's not very geographically based. We have kids from all over the country, even all over the world, um, but they all fit that bill in that they really made a conscious choice that they wanted to go receive a, a great education at an elite-level academic school while playing golf at the highest level.
1: So how often do that um, those two goals, like you talked about playing on the tour and also having an elite-level education, how often does it intersect when you have a player like Matthew Fitzpatrick who has this incredible elite-level talent but also could fit into Northwestern but yet... You find out his talent is so high that you know he's decided that he's going to go right to the next level right away. Is that um, something you bump up against where maybe that the players themselves may be more pursuing into pursuing a professional tour life and then struggle or don't want to be involved with the school, or is that something that you have to balance as a coach?
0: Yeah, we haven't had too many examples of that. Um, you know, if anything, we'll have more experiences where kids get here, and and as you go up every level in golf, you see how good players are and how hard you're going to work and how much time you're going to have to invest. And we'll have kids say, you know, God, I have great opportunities in the finance world or whatever their chosen profession is, you know, and they'll really start to pursue that as well while they're in school. But, you know, Matt was a great example. We I would recruit Matt many times over, and, and luckily for us, he's really proud of his Northwestern experience and has stayed – Really affiliated to it and engaged in it, um, you know. But when we recruited Matt, he was the 11th ranked amateur in the world, and the second ranked amateur, 18 or younger in the world, higher ranked than any American player, um, you know. And then he goes out that summer before he wins the U.S. Amateur, becomes the youngest winner in the history, younger than Bobby Jones, younger than Tiger Woods, and comes to school as the number one ranked amateur in the world. And it just—he had too many good opportunities. He made a good decision. Um, you know, when he went home that Christmas, there was a lot of opportunities for him with Under Armour, with golf in Dubai, with club manufacturers, and he's proved he can do it. I couldn't be more proud of the year he's had this year.
1: When you have a, an elite-level player like that, that you probably could, could tell that this you know, young player here has a huge future, when you have a player like that, and I, I would imagine you saw a little bit of that with Luke when he was younger as well, um, does that change the way you approach them? Or do you, again, is it something that each player is different and you try as the coach to try to fill in where you see that they need uh, help
0: with? Yeah, it's going to be individually based with each player. You know, we're going to fill in where they need the help. And, uh, you know, but one of the things I am really proud of is, you know, that we've been able to develop these high level players who are ready to go play professional golf immediately after school and have a lot of success. you know, so I think we understand that process and can help that Luke Donald, that Matt Fitzpatrick or David Lipsky, whoever those players are, be ready for their goals after school. So let's talk a little bit then about um, some of the um,
1: facilities and the things that you have at Northwestern, I guess, that are maybe could be considered recruiting tools or tools that help, obviously, the student athletes there. Um, that might be unique just because of the fact that we're in a cold weather climate. I know you have like an indoor practice facility. And what are the things that you've kind of, as your tenure at Northwestern, that you've kind of put together to make Northwestern this sort of um, powerhouse golf
0: program? Yeah, we've been able to continue to grow and expand our facilities, and they're growing and expanding in all of college golf. Um, You know, schools are really doing a good job of building facilities to help players and, And one thing we've really seen is that, you know, weather is a non-factor for the right player. You can absolutely improve just as much at a school with snow on the ground in January and February as you can where it's 70 and sunny every day. Each player's got to find the right spot and the right coaching and the right opportunity. For us, we've been able to really use the winters as a a primary developmental opportunity. You know, I've been doing it here so long and see the value in what we do in the winter that... Not that I ever would, but if I were to ever go coach where the weather was perfect, I'd have to really rethink what I do because I understand it so well here. But our facilities in 1998, we opened up the Gleacher Golf Center, which was the first really extensively built indoor golf facility for a school. It's a 5,400-square-foot facility that has areas to chip, pitch, putt, video room, players' lounge. you know, And that provides a great resource for our players that's available for them every day to get in a lot of reps and practice and it's been a great facility we've renovated it a few times within the footprint of what it is in fact again this winter we put in new putting surface and reshaped the green we put in a putting alley redid some other turf areas so it's it's been a great facility for us and we built it really thinking the players would just use it in the winter but it's so convenient and helpful they use it year round so that's been really good and we have our home outdoor practice facility, which is the Luke Donald Outdoor Practice Facility, which is at the Glen Club in Glenview. And um, we were able to buy some memberships there and, and built out this area at the back of the range where we have a tee, a huge short game area, and putting area. So for us, that was really the, the final component of what we needed. We're, we are so fortunate in Northwestern to live off the generosity of all these incredible private clubs on the North Shore. They've been incredible to us. And I thought that as a player, and it's, it's only continued to grow, but I don't believe there's a university that has better access to more great golf courses than we do, and, and the way they treat us is unbelievable how welcome they are. Um, you know, but we needed a place when we built this facility back in 2006 where we could go hit balls and chip and putt and run practices in any form that we want at any time, and then we can augment it with the ability to play and practice at these other great clubs.
1: So I think I'd like to segue into, uh, you talked about the way you utilize the cold weather months. Are there any tips that you can give, maybe if we talk in terms of, um, you know, overall game preparation and maybe if you had a short game tip, any game uh, tips you can give Chicago golfers who face this every year and realize, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, you put the clubs away and you don't touch them for another six months, but is there anything you can tell them the ways they could take advantage of the winter, just like you do with your, your players.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's a better time of the year for a person in Chicago to get better than in the winter. I think it's your greatest opportunity if you want to truly improve and you're willing to invest a little time or energy. As we know, when you're out there in the summer and that weather's good, what you really want to do is go play. And you want to be out there with your buddies at your club and you want to go play and post scores and play your matches and do all that as you should and that's great but for any level of player they need a segment of time that's developmentally based where you can get in the reps and you can try to make the changes and improvements that you need to do to shoot lower scores down the road and nobody wants to do that in the summer it's it's too fun to get out there and play so winter is your chance and you don't have to worry about scoring you don't have to worry about hitting it outdoors you can really just push your focus a little bit more internal to what do I need to do to improve? What are the motor pattern changes I need to make in any area of my game so that I come out next spring a better, different, and improved golfer? Without having to worry about playing, without having to worry about results, you can really get that done in the winter better so than any time. So I think now is a great time to find the teacher that you really believe in to work with and to get on a regular System and time frame of some lessons. Find some time to get to the domes or the outdoor hitting bays and practice. Really staying focused, not so much on the ball flight, but on making the right motions and getting in the correct reps. And physically, winter is a great time. You know, we see a lot of benefit of all level players of getting the physical fitness done and to get an evaluation and to schedule some workouts that help your body move better, to play the game more safely, to generate more speed. We hire a, a golf-specific fitness uh, trainer named Corey Pereer who really helps our team and has done a great job and has become an invaluable asset. And even since our season ended in November, in, in a month, it's been amazing to see the progress we've made with these guys really doing some golf-specific workouts and training and motor pattern training and just having time to hit balls. We're seeing more improvement now than we will any other time of the year, and that can hold true for any level of player.
1: Do you have a, um, maybe a single tip, something simple that uh, Chicago golfers could work on in the winter with their short game, maybe putting or chipping or what do you, what, anything that might give them something they could even maybe do around their house
0: to kind of keep the feel going or improve? Absolutely, yeah. We'll give, you, we'll give you one putting and one short game. So first off, I'd say the most common putting mistake or one of the more common putting mistakes we see is that players have really misunderstood acceleration. And everybody has thought of to accelerate in putting and not decelerate. I need to go short back and really long through. But true acceleration can only happen to the ball. Once we have that collision with the ball, by definition, you've decelerated. So what players need to really understand is that to make better contact and to be a more consistent putter, they need to really lengthen their backswing and then here comes the key phrase, they need to accelerate, not pass, not pass the ball. We're trying to accelerate to it. So you could sit around your house and easily hit putts. Make sure that your backstroke and your forward stroke are similar length. If anything, we can show you a lot of videos of tour players whose forward stroke can even be a touch shorter than the backstroke, but work on getting your stroke even on both sides and get this idea of accelerating to the ball. You want your rate of acceleration happening as soon as you start your putter forward and not pass the ball. So that would be my putting tip for the winner. As far as any kind of short game, the most common mistake we see is players swing the club too far inside with the club face too closed or shut. So if you have an opportunity to chip around into a net or even chip into the, I remember being a kid and I'd be hitting all these chips in the living room off the carpet into the cushion that I took down off the couch You know, no matter where you can hit these little chips, you've got to really feel the path of your club going much more out and up and seeing more loft held on the face where the face is more open. That will really give you a better chance to to get the club not digging into the ground, just getting through it and make better contact.
1: Excellent. Those are great tips. Thank you very much for that. Um, I'd like to finish then with a final question is uh and you're probably the perfect person to ask just because you've already mentioned this with the uh all the wonderful that we have in the chicagoland area and the terrific history and that uh, like you said northwestern's been uh, allowed to enjoy what are some of your favorite golf courses in the chicagoland area maybe if you give a couple private and then uh, maybe even a couple public courses that that you really love
0: yeah, sure, for me, and I've been really fortunate. This is one way the game has been amazing to me, and Northwestern was amazing to me. I, I grew up playing municipal facilities in Crystal Lake and uh, had some facilities that were so good to me as a kid. Um, so I didn't really get exposed to all these great private clubs until I came to Northwestern and had the opportunity to play all these places on the North Shore, and that was really my first exposure to these great clubs. Um, and at Northwestern, we're so fortunate. All these clubs are great to us and open up their arms. So some of my favorites, we'll start with the private clubs in Chicago. You know, obviously Chicago golf clubs is a, a really unique, special place. The C.B. McDonald design and Seth Rayner's influence over the course. And there's so much history and tradition there. It is, it is second to none, both as a golf course and an experience, and, and really unique. I love going there and have been privileged to do it. So that, that would be right near the top of the list. As far as other private clubs that... I really enjoy Conway Farms in Lake Forest. I'm so glad to have seen Conway Farms finally the last few years get a little bit more recognition as they hosted the BMW Championship. But it is truly a world-class private facility from the the treatment, the experience, the practice facilities, all of it. You know, that's the one place that Luke really made an effort to join in Chicago after he finished school. So I think that's a really special place. And, and beyond that, there are so many other great ones that – uh, are really good experiences you know from Skokie and Knollwood, Evanston North Shore just all great places with a great sense of tradition always in great tradi- always in great shape too as well you know as as far as the public facilities we have great public opportunities in Chicago from you know all kinds of different levels and you know, our team has really benefited from and really enjoyed our relationship with the Glen Club and Kemper Sports. It's a world-class facility, a great Fazio design, and it's amazing to go there and think that this was a flat piece of Naval Air Station that's turned into this incredibly natural, beautiful-looking, rolling terrain. Uh, so I think that's a course that everybody needs to really to have on their list of public facilities, and, and there's also nothing better than Cog Hill and to see what the Jemsic family has done there you know, are all wonderful places. This has been the Chicago Golf Report podcast. Visit chicagogolfreport.com right now for exclusive discount offers, Chicago Golf News, and in-depth event listings.